0: You know, I, I guess it's irony. Uh, last week I was picking on you about Aaron Severson's name and uh, we got some clarification from a viewer on that, so thank you to them. Uh, but then uh, I find out, out of nowhere, I've been screwing up somebody's name all this time. Coach, all these years, you know, we worry about WEAC or YAC, Miac or MIAC, siak or SIAC and all this other stuff. I've learned something before this interview, and I, I, I'm really questioning my own you know, knowledge of stuff right now. I've called you Sarah Zullo for how many <laughs> years? Uh, a number, okay. <laughs> that's all right. What is, somebody told me, Brian McLaughlin, you're SMB, yeah, yeah. literally stopped me and said, look, it's Sarah Zolo.
1: Yeah,
0: Solo. Sarah Solo, Sarah Solo. Yeah. Sarah Sarah yep. Solo. So yep. I gotta practice this. Yep. Why didn't you tell me after all these years, I mean, this is we're going back yeah. a decade here, I just figured, uh, whatever. I get a lot of mispronunciations, and uh, hey, I'm just happy to be on camera every now and then, you know? So I figured out. <laughs> so, so if JB messes up your name yeah. like he does, Aaron Severson or Severson, wherever yeah. his name is, uh, St. John's, are you going to be okay with him or are you going to be more uh, I'm upset be with him? i perfectly fine. Anytime we get to talk about the Brotherhood, you know, for, with D3 football,
2: that's awesome. So,
0: Is it Roach or Rauch? Uh, uh, that is Roach. It's Roach, that's okay, Roach. I mean, to be clear. I just want to make sure on that <laughs> yeah. one at least. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. I, I'm sorry for messing up your name after all these years. No problem. <laughs> yep. What do you got to say for that? Uh, go ahead, JB.
2: I mean, you know, how many years has it been that we that we've been interviewing him on our show? But at least he was polite and never told us we were... <laughs> wrong but still oh my god Ugh.
0: yeah imagine my surprise is I'm getting uh, rained on out there and everything else and Brian McGoffin says yo um you've been saying it wrong uh, oh okay uh <laughs> better late <laughs> thanks, than ever thanks Brian yeah I guess so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, well it was good. It. good to see everybody in Springfield uh weather uh aside uh internet connection aside and everything else we we're having trouble with and uh sorry for getting the interviews up a little later than we normally would uh, want to but they got a very relevant game still coming up this saturday and we did talk about that in those interviews if you haven't seen them already uh so uh, go back and watch those springfield interviews but uh jb um you know there was not the full separation yet on that saturday of games uh you can see we we had what we call separation saturday but not everybody necessarily is separated yet we Have updated those numbers, updated the list of teams, and there's still some conferences with some wide open races coming up here. So, you know, let's get to them. Let's let's tell folks what happened, how we got here in week eight's crunch time episode of season 16 of In the Huddle. So as we said in the uh, cold open, uh, we definitely have some things to talk about here. Uh, Some games that we didn't necessarily see as being blockbuster games delivered, uh, ultimately uh, well beyond our expectations. And so I'm going to go right to you for the 30,000-foot view of Week 8.
2: Well, yeah, we saw in multiple conferences across the regions that there were these kind of number one contenders taking on either the defending champions, or the sort of leaders in the clubhouse after seven weeks of the regular season. And for the most part, and there were some very close calls, and we'll show you the highlights of those games coming up in crunch time. But for the most part, the leaders in the clubhouse stayed up there. We did see some upsets, however, and certain surprising places uh, that we didn't quite expect in regions three five and six and we'll get into that a little more too but for the most part the uh, leaders of the clubhouse are still maintaining their lead but i think that we saw a fan or i saw a fan at least post that there's still technically 78 teams in division three that are hanging on to some form of postseason or ncaa playoff birth hope based on all the different uh, machinations of what could possibly happen but we do know that this upcoming week nine, that there's at least four teams that can punch their conference championship pool, eight tickets, a little more on that, but that's what I got for the 30,000 foot view for now.
0: Wow, I, I didn't even get air sick from that. Uh, it was so so efficient and brief. I, I, it was smooth sailing up there, no turbulence at all. But uh, mm. you know what It gets turbulent? When I have this many pages of stuff to go through here for crunch time, yeah. So let's go through it because this is crunch time for week 8 of the 2023 Division 3 college football season. <laughs> Again, we go in-depth for some games, we go express for others. Uh, We're going to keep this up for a little bit, and so let's start in-depth in the game I attended. Salve Regina at Springfield. In the first quarter, four minutes into the game, Jacob Sylvester gets a 21-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0 for the Pride. Then, five minutes left, second quarter, it's Bradley Barcelo getting an 18-yard touchdown pass from Sylvester Wait a minute, it's a Springfield, where's this passing touchdown coming from? 14-0 the score nonetheless. Eventually it would be 24-0 Springfield in the third quarter, but then Salve Regina tries to come back, 546 left third quarter. Marcelino Labella gets a 13-yard touchdown pass from Jake Stack. The two-point conversion, good, 24-8. And then a successful onside kick goes to Salve Regina, 239 left third quarter. Jacoby Smith, 9-yard touchdown pass from Jake Stack. 24-14 is the score at that point. But eventually, let's look at Arson Chatefan's 9-yard touchdown run here with 9 minutes left in the game. 31-14. He was a workhorse for them in that second half. The final score was 31-21 in favor of Springfield. Sylvester, 95 total yards, 1 passing, 2 rushing touchdowns. Jake Stack for Salve Regina, 17 for 26, 160 yards, 1 rushing touchdown, 2 passing touchdowns, and an interception. JB this helps Springfield definitely on their uh, journey toward a New Mac championship, That they still have to beat Merchant Marine Academy this Saturday.
2: Yeah, and of course that will mean that we'll probably see about 600 yards of passing, right? Because they're both triple option offenses and a little more on that. It, it's, it's amazing what these teams are actually starting to pull out of their, their bag of tricks. But Springfield, you know, they have that big number 25, a bruising fullback, you know, bashing through the line. And the pride are always, you know, a safe bet. For some stupid reason, a couple of guys picked against them last Friday. I don't know what happened there, but you know, we'll, maybe we'll just go on to the next one.
0: Uh, don't know who you're talking about. at Del Val, he said, is the next game in the back uh, in Region One. First quarter, halfway through it, it was Lebanon Valley's Jay Cisco getting a 61-yard touchdown pass from Braden Bohannon, eight to six in favor of Del Valle. Then we'll go to the third quarter, 9.42 left. Valle's Jack Fallon gets an 18-yard touchdown run. 14 to 6, Valle leading. Further in the third quarter, two minutes left, Tim Kissinger gets a 49-yard field goal for Lebanon Valley. So now they're claw- uh, clawing their way back in. 14 to 9 is uh, Lev Val down at that point. So fourth quarter, 8.48 left, Braden Bohannon. This two-yard touchdown run gives Lev Val the lead, 17-14. A minute 14 left. Here's Mike Bartley's attempt at a 23-yard field goal. No good for DelVal. Was the streak over? Was it done? Well, look at this. 14 seconds left. Shaman out to the near side. Burial's drops back. Quick throw across the middle. It's caught. Touchdown! Touchdown!
1: Lawan Avdeya! The streak is alive!
0: Thanks to Gordon Mann for that call. Touchdown, Delval. And then you'll see here on the attempt by Val to uh, come back here. The Tanner Lewis pass complete, but it's ultimately lateral t- to no avail. Delval wins. My goodness, what a game there! Twenty-one to seventeen. Louis Barrios, the fourth, our guest on Friday. One hundred ninety-two total yards. One passing touchdown with fourteen seconds left. That's the 50th consecutive MAC win for DelVal, JB. Uh, we both thought, I think, that they were toast at uh, that late portion of the game when that field goal was no good, but they found a way to win.
2: Yeah, and that's what I think has, has made me a big fan of Louis Barrios and, and DelVal. They may not have had the you know, powerful defensive performances like we've seen in, in prior years, but they did just enough here to, to hang on to the win Barrios is a, a clear, you know, great quarterback in Region 1, probably one of the best QBs in Region 1, if not the best QB, um, and he just found ways to get his team in a position to win the ball game, made the play that he had to put, make, and gosh, I'm, I'm just relieved that, you know, there wasn't some in-the-huddle curse that was, you know, bogging him down. He over he overcame that, and um, once again, it looks like the Aggies are on their way to another MAC championship, but the Mustangs of Stevenson may have something to say about that this weekend. We'll see.
0: Absolutely. Let's go express for the last games of Region 1, Husson at Western New England. The score was 3 0, Western New England, until three and a half minutes into the fourth quarter when Husson would tie it. But later in the fourth quarter, 2 19 left. Elijah Garnett gets a two yard touchdown run. The score at that point was 9 to 3, Husson leading. But 105 left, fourth quarter. DeAndre Harris, a nine yard touchdown pass for Western New England. That was from Conrad Swanson, 10 9. There was still a chance though for Huston. This 49 yard Kaysen Markovich field goal attempt, no good. Western New England hangs on 10 9. Conrad Swanson, 8 for 14, 106 yards, one passing touchdown. Elijah, uh, Gar- Elijah Garnett, excuse me, 22 rushes, 72 yards, one rushing touchdown. Then it's WPI at USMMA Merchant Marine. And folks, instead of me talking, we're gonna do something we've done before, but with a different name now. We're gonna do the Talson Tally in favor of Mr. Towson Smith.
1: Should call for clear skies for the remainder of the day. of throws on first down, Smith with the catch and more Down the sideline, a foot race and he beats the ball. Towson Smith with a touchdown for Merchant Marine. Leading WPI 9 to 7. Malona will throw. Again, with a streaking Smith down the left sideline. Towson Smith has his second touchdown catch of the quarter. This time, 65 yards on the touchdown. Smith lining up on the right this time. Oloda, looks to him, throws. Caught, Smith, in the WPI territory and then some. Still on his feet, Towson-Smith inside the 10. Diving into the end zone for a touchdown! Towson-Smith from 61 yards, and he has just broken his own school record. Oloda to throw. He's got Smith! That puts them over 300 yards.
0: 14 catches, 324 yards. My goodness, Towson Smith with a record-breaking day for Merchant Marine Academy. Terrence Benedict for WPI, we should say, is 21 for 31 in this game. 276 yards, three passing touchdowns. JB, I mean, what an unexpected turn of events for a triple option team to have a 324-yard passing day for one player uh, receiving, at least. Uh, that's incredible and yet it happened right there you'll tell us about that and the rest of Region 1.
2: Yeah I mean that was just an incredible performance but there must have been something that uh, Coach Kroll saw on the tape that if they knew that if they The defense was coming in to stack the box with nine guys that someone could run behind and and be open, particularly if it's a man-covered situation. And Smith obviously took advantage of that. And and what a big game. Just an amazing performance for him. Um, California guy all the way on the East Coast uh, serving our country, so thank you uh, for that also. But uh, an impressive performance there by the Merchant Marine. Elsewhere in Region 1, we saw Western Connecticut win on Friday night. Endicott also had a shutout. Stevenson wins against uh, Misericordia. Anna Maria wins over Dean 52 to 20. MIT edges SUNY Maritime. They finally get a win after week one. It's been a while. I I don't know. Maybe I was their good luck charm then, but it's good to see the engineers back on the winning side of things. FDU Florham, Plymouth state Kings and Widener all have big games at Alfred State. Coming up 24 to 38, a little short there, to the Bison at home. So maybe the ECFC really runs through DC, Frank. That'll be interesting to see what happens. Somebody's got to win that conference, and so the Bison are are in the lead right now. University of New England, normally a very high-scoring offense, played a defensive game against Curry, winning 19 to 13. And then in the NESCAC, we saw Tufts, Middlebury, and Hamilton win their games. On the flip side, you see this old mug here? Well, that's a nice picture from our our friend, Tom Haley, and uh, that was for the Norwich Coast Guard game. They play for the Mug. It's been around for a long time. You can see some of these dates back there go go way back, and Coast Guard wins big 52-17. Also in the NESCAC, Wesleyan beats Bowden 35-30. Trinity wins 30, uh, 41-14, excuse me. And then Bridgewater State, still the first place team in the MASCAC, shuts out Westfield State 21-0, and UMass Dartmouth beats Pittsburgh 42-7. The Corsairs and the Bears have a big game this Saturday in Week 9.
0: Yeah, that's some really big games across Week 9 in all regions. Let's go to Region 2 right now as Ithaca can secure a playoff berth if they win in Week 9. But first, they needed to get through Rochester in the game we're going to go in-depth on here. Halftime score was 3 apiece, uh, which uh, is amazing as Derek Balden hits this 45-yard field goal to make it 3-3. to Fourth quarter, 13:35 left. Jalen Leonard Osborne with the 20-yard touchdown run. 10 to three, Ithaca leads. They get another touchdown from Leonard Osborne, a 34-yarder. Five minutes into the fourth quarter, 17 to three, Ithaca has the lead at that point. But Rochester wouldn't go away. Jackson Kane gets a three-yard touchdown pass from Ryan Rose with five minutes left in the fourth quarter, make it 17 to 10. But Ithaca would respond one more time with 59 seconds left. Colin Shum gets his three-yard touchdown run. Great job by him in for A.J. Wingfield after that injury. 24-10 was the final. Ithaca wins. They were tied 3-3 at the half. Leonard Osborne, 26 rushes for 208 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Ryan Rose for Rochester, one passing touchdown but two interceptions. Ithaca had people concerned during that game. It was three to nothing and then three to three yeah. for a while. And ultimately they win the game, but I think a lot of people begin to question having to switch quarterback at this point, does it really mess with the rhythm for them as they begin to look toward Cortica and the playoffs?
2: Yeah, it does and and for the most part Shum looked like a freshman in his first collegiate start against a good defense and he really struggled against the the Yellow Jackets who brought a lot of pressure, they did some different things, but you know at the end of the day, Ithaca is more than just a, a one-trick bomber, they, they have um, Leonard Osborne who's a fantastic running back, I mean If you you lose your starting QB, might be a good idea to give him the ball 25, 30 times a game. They did, he got a couple of rushing touchdowns. And then the defense, uh, Derek Zweika again with another interception. This guy is having an all-American caliber season. So different parts of the team are sort of lifting up um, the hole there for Ithaca, and uh, they can clinch the Liberty League Championship with a win this weekend.
0: Speaking of the Liberty League, you have some 9-1 potential teams here fighting it out. And in this game, we're about to go in-depth yeah. on, it was true, Hobart at Union, uh, our personal uh, grudge match. Eight minutes into the game, Donovan Picati, a 7-0 to lead for Union on the four-yard touchdown run. Then about four minutes later, Tobias Weffering gets his 42-yard field goal to make it 7-3, but Union responds. Kevin Raybeck gets a 14-yard touchdown pass from McCaddy with 6.33 left in the second quarter. Union led 14-3. Rayshawn Boswell, a name that we knew we'd hear from in this game, uh, with 1.41 left in the first half. Gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it closer, 14-10. to But then it's all Dutchman. First, Max Gluck, a 36-yard field goal five minutes into the second half, 17-10. to This is the uh, point, though, where I, th- I think the tipping point of the game, Landers Green, a 56-yard touchdown pass from Donovan Picati with 33 seconds left in the third quarter. That's a f- 24-10 to lead for Union. And then Gluck gets one more field goal, an 18-yarder with 4.17 left. 27 to 10. The final shot here was uh, this interception uh, by uh, Jacob Vanderhoof to make uh, the final score of this game 27 to 10 Union College. Picatti, 18 for 31, 216 yards, one rushing, two passing touchdowns. The Union defense held Hobart to 101 rushing yards. They had six tackles for loss, a sack, and an interception. JB, this uh, Union team believes they can go 9 and 1 they have some rooting interest during their bye week because they're not guaranteed a playoff spot or even to be the first team in region to considered if they finish 9-1, and what an odd development that is in and of itself, but they need to first do their own business and go to 9-1, this was a big step toward that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and as much as, like I said on Friday, uh, you know, my, my heart was with my alma mater, but clearly on, on paper, and then when you watch it on video, particularly with the the lines and the quarterback play, Union was just at another level. Um, on that highlight reel where you saw um, Landers catch that touchdown, there's a Hobart defensive lineman who's only about 200 pounds, getting just slammed to the ground by the, by the Union offensive line. Hobart just doesn't have the size on the D line like they used to, and Union exploited that running the ball pretty much at will, and Pacatio had a great game. He uh, threw the ball much better than um, you know, his opponent did on the other side. The numbers spoke for themselves. And you have to credit the Dutchman Chargers, whatever we're calling them these days, on a big win. Unfortunately, it does seem like because the Liberty League get le- got left out of the musical chairs conference matchup situation that they're scheduling may hurt them when it comes to Pool C. We'll have to wait and find out.
0: Let's go express for the rest of Region 2. Montclair at William Patterson. 58 seconds left first half. Patterson's Taz Burton gets the 70-yard touchdown pass Christopher Leinberg seven apiece at that point then you'll see this interception by Naseer Alston Uh, and so that sets things up here for Patterson with 922 left in the fourth quarter it's Matt Clark a 39 yard touchdown pass from Chris Leinberg 13 to 7 but my clear not done here as 235 left Abilene Mendez a 28 yard touchdown run makes it 14 to 13 and one last chance for william patterson but lineberg's intercepted in the end zone and that would do it on the fourth and 23 play essentially and the final score was 14 13 in favor of montclair abilene mendez 20 rushes 119 yards one rushing touchdown christopher lineberg from william patterson 10 for 26 220 yards two passing touchdowns and two interceptions then, Muhlenberg at Dickinson. Big game here for the Centennial. First quarter, 6.41 left. It's Timothy Buda, the seven-yard touchdown pass from Joe Petty. 7-0 at that point in favor of Muhlenberg. Then, James Nye, remember him from the Ursinus game. Uh, tight end gets a 35-yard touchdown pass from Rapetti. 3.43 left first quarter, it was 14-0. Then, halfway through the second quarter, Andrew Darno, a 14-yard touchdown pass from Joe Rapetti. That was 21-0. There was a late rally by Dickinson, but it fell far short in this game. 42-21, Muhlenberg. Repetti, 297 total yards, one rushing, four passing touchdowns. And Bobby Markey, four receptions, 79 yards, two receiving touchdowns for Dickinson. Finally, in Region 2, Washington Jefferson at Carnegie Mellon. First quarter, 638 left. It's uh, Willem Buma, a one-yard touchdown run, making it 6-0 in favor of Carnegie Mellon. Boma will be heard from again here. Uh, 4.18 left in the first quarter, a 55 yard touchdown run. 12 to uh, 0 at that point in favor of Carnegie Mellon. Then just 14 seconds later, Jacob McCasco gets a 67 yard touchdown pass from Jacob Pugh, 12 to 7 now is the score in favor of Carnegie Mellon. But we're going to fast forward here toward the end of the first half. 2.42 left. It's Willem Boma again, a 70 yard touchdown run to make it 32 to 7 in favor of Carnegie Mellon. It was all Tartans, 35-14. Boma, 19 rushes, 149 yards, five rushing touchdowns. Jacob Pugh for what, W&J, 17 for 36, 315 yards, two passing touchdowns, but three interceptions. JB, another conference that could produce a 9-1 team in Region 2, but yeah. you got to think that the Leary League, because they're playing out-of-conference games, would have the edge if they have a 9-1 team versus the pack right now even if it's Carnegie Mellon because they're going to be at a strength of schedule around 500 and not getting additional teams that are regionally ranked into the schedule mix there.
2: Yeah but they also played North Central great last season and they they barely miss um, winning the pack this year. Maybe they're you know the human element of the committee is what we can't really predict and there could be someone that says you know Carnegie Mellon is a name that we know they performed in the playoffs, and so we'll give them a shot over a different 9-1 team that they may have not have seen in the playoffs in the last couple of years. It will be interesting because the criteria certainly will weigh against them, but we'll have to wait and see how it shakes out. Otherwise, uh, Hopkins, Susquehanna, Cortland, and Grove City, the four teams that are at the top of the Centennial, Landmark, Empire 8, and pack all won their games pretty convincingly. Utica actually got a shutout for the first time, I think, in. Since 2014 or something like that, I think I saw on Twitter a 28 to 0 win over Alfred. RPI wins 37 to 7 against Saint Lawrence. But really, the big story I think on Saturday, Frank, and that's why I highlighted it here. Let's look at Salisbury taking down Rowan 35 to 20. It's the 200th career win for Coach Wood. Uh, a huge milestone for him, and congratulations to. Uh, Coach Wood and the the whole uh, Seagull uh, program, that's really impressive stuff. Elsewhere we saw Moravian beat Juniata, we saw Lyco beat Keystone. Brockport is continuing to plow through opponents. I think they held Morrisville State to only 45 total yards, Frank. What they're doing on offense and defense is really impressive. I cannot wait until they play Cortland. Um, that, that's going to be a great game. Franklin and Marshall beats McDaniel 27 to 17. Christopher Newport stays in the lead in the NJAC with a 34 to 10 win over Kane. TC and J beats Gettysburg in an NJAC Centennial uh, cross game there. We got Case Western staying uh, also with only one loss in the pack. That's going to be interesting to keep an eye on for ECAC and other potentially another nine and one situation. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Buffalo State wins big 44 to 12 over new program Hilbert. Geneva wins 45-20, and Westminster, Pennsylvania, wins 27-17 over Allegheny in the night game of the pack. Well, one of the night
0: Congratulations, game. Coach Wood. I, I share in those uh, kudos. Uh, he's a uh, classy, classy uh, coach, and appreciate his contributions to Division Three all these years. Let's go Region Three in depth with Washington and Lee at Hampton-Sydney. Four minutes into the game, Mason Cunningham gets a 21, 24-yard touchdown pass from Andrew Puccinelli. To make it seven to zero, Hampton Sydney. They'd extend that lead. Six minutes left, first quarter. As Braden Bowling gets a 43-yard touchdown pass from Puccinelli, make it 14 to zero. Washington Lee would be heard from in the second quarter. Nine minutes left. Stephen Mirren gets a 42-yard touchdown run to make it 14 to seven in favor of Hampton Sydney. Still, then a field goal five minutes into the third quarter made it 17 to seven, Hampton Sydney. Third quarter, 3:32 left. W&L's Jacob Romero, a 44-yard touchdown run, narrows that distance to 17-14. Five minutes left, fourth quarter though, it's Steven Murin getting another touchdown, this time a 24-yard run, 21-17, W&L has taken the lead. Hampton Sydney, we get two more possessions to try to retake the lead. The first ended in a punt, the second started with 202 left, and here's a fourth and 20 play from the Hampton Sydney 31-yard line. Piccinelli incomplete, and that would do it. Washington Ali beats Hampton Sydney 21-17. They trailed 14-7 at the half. Steven Murin, 130 total yards, two rushing touchdowns. Piccinelli, two passing touchdowns in the game. The question of questions in the ODAC is. Can L take down Randolph-Macon? In games like these, the way they've been playing, they've got to ha- start hotter than this, but they do have the ability to take down some big teams this season, it feels like.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and this was another game that we were really keeping an eye on and, and we're curious to see how it struck out. But, I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, it's the, it's the playmaking ability of, of Murren that helped the Generals you know, get by here. The couple of rushing touchdowns, he, May not have had a ton of passing yards, but he makes enough plays to get the job done. Uh, Puccinelli for Hampton-Sydney, no slouch either, but this, the Tigers have just been, a little pun intended, bit here, here and there with some of these close losses this season, but they're always in the fight until the very end.
0: Let's go express for the rest of Region 3. Howard Payne at McMurray. Halftime score was 21-14 McMurray, and later they were up 31-14. to 14. Fourth quarter, 10-14 left. Uh, Ham- Howard Payne's... Samaj Brown a 38-yard touchdown pass from Landon McKinney made it 31-21 but McMurray would brush them back seven minutes left fourth quarter Brett Kindle for McMurray we get a 26-yard touchdown pass from Jess Hull to make it 38-21 in favor of McMurray and then 617 left in the fourth quarter Carmelis card a 13-yard touchdown pass from Drew Hagler 45-21 was the score at that point and the final score of the game was that 45-21 score Jess Hull with the 22-for-30 day, 238 yards, three passing touchdowns. McKinney for Howard Payne, 31-for-50, 344 yards, three passing touchdowns and an interception. And in what has to be termed an upset in the ASC. Let's go to the SAA for a bit here as Trinity took on Southwestern. Second quarter, 11:01 one left. Caleb Crawford gets a 40-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn to give Trinity a 19-0 lead. I want to highlight this play, 734 left in the third, in the second quarter. Caleb Harmel, a 52-yard touchdown run on the punt fake, 26-0. He told me they didn't give him oxygen because he had to go back out for defense right away, unfortunately, when I uh, pinged him early in the week. It's 652 left in the third quarter. Ryan Mirfield, a 22-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn, 36-7 at that point in favor of Trinity. The final score, 57-7 over Southwestern. Tucker Horn, 23 for 30, 342 yards, four passing touchdowns. Caleb Parmel, running backslash linebacker, you call him here, a one rushing touchdown for 52 oh, yeah. yards, uh, three tackles, and a, a tackle and a half for loss. We will stay in the SAA as Barry take, took on Solani. First quarter, 11.15 left. Barry's Colby Sykes gets a 19 yard touchdown run, making it 6 to 0. Barry, 7.08 left. First quarter, Brandon Cade, a three yard touchdown run. 14 to 0 in favor of Barry at that point. Keeps going. First quarter, 4:12 left. Colby Sykes again, a 5-yard touchdown run. 20 to 0, Barry led. Then second quarter, Brandon Cade, a 68-yard touchdown run. 26 to 7 in favor of Barry, and that would be far from the final score as it was 61 to 23 over Sawani. Brandon Cade and Colby Sykes combined for 23 rushes, 406 yards, and seven rushing touchdowns. Dyer Barnes, yeah, from Sewanee, two receiving touchdowns in the game. Finally in the SAA, Rhodes at Hendricks. What a game this was. Hendricks led by 15 in the second quarter, but Rhodes took the lead here. Third quarter, 12:37 left. Austin Smith, the 41-yard touchdown pass from uh, Evan Reeder. in favor of Rhodes. The team's traded scores to land at a 43-43 tie with 10 minutes left. 3.55 left in the fourth quarter. Jason Sullivan for Hendricks gets a 23-yard touchdown pass from Josh Hayes. 50-43 Hendricks led. About 21 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Rhodes responds with this Brent Barlow 17-yard touchdown pass from Houston Wilhelm. 50-49, they go for two. The two-point conversion pass by Houston Wilhelm, no good. And that would do it. 50-49, Hendricks won the game. Evan Reeder for Rhodes, 177 total yards, one rushing, three passing touchdowns, and an interception. Josh Hayes from Hendricks, 7 for 7, 106 yards, one passing touchdown. What a game that was. We highlight a lot of the SAA here because we want to show what's going on here. Is Trinity fully in the clear? No, but obviously... There's, uh, you know, some good teams still to go through, but Barry and Trinity is still the class of the SAA.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I always love that when Hendricks gets to play at the uh, War Memorial, uh, it's just a, a, a bigger, better sort of uh, visual experience, and I'm sure the, the players and coaches really enjoy it. What an exciting thing! And, and Josh Hayes coming in, I think, off the bench, um, as a backup quarterback, doesn't you know, miss a pass. It's like seven for seven. That's a big win for the the Warriors who've had an up and down season. Elsewhere in Region 3, um, Randolph-Macon and Mary Harden-Baylor ironically won by the same margin of victory, 35 points. Uh, The Yellow Jackets took care of Shenandoah, the Crusaders took care of Austin. Harden-Simmons looking like the Cowboys have passed with a 55-7 over Sol Ross State who's leading D3 next season, I believe, you got N.C. Wesleyan defeating Southern Virginia Huntington wins big, 56 to 8, over Greensboro. Maryville, Tennessee, wins 26 to 6 over Lagrange. Elsewhere in Region Three, we've got Bellhaven taking care of Methodist Center, winning big, 59 to 20, over Millsaps. Bridgewater of Virginia wins 53 to 24 over Averett. Farum blanks Guilford, and then ETBU beats Texas Lutheran, 16 to 6. I'm highlighting EJ Burgess here. Um, one of the things I love about Division Three is when. Sports information departments highlight players and tell about their life stories. This young man lost both of his parents at an early age and has been through a lot, but has overcome a great deal of things, of adversity in his life. And here he is, a senior about to graduate from ETBU, having a, a great season along with the Tigers. So, uh, EJ, we're, we're rooting for you. Love these special interest stories. SID's out there, keep them coming. EJ, congrats on the win. Great
0: photo, great uh, story indeed. Regions 4 through 6, we'll go in-depth for a few games here because there's that kind of action here to talk about. We'll go Wisconsin Oshkosh at Wisconsin Lacrosse. Second quarter, 9.29 left. La Crosse's Tyler Bowman gets a 17-yard pass from Kaiser Helterbrand to make it 21-6 in favor of lacrosse. Then, about five minutes later, it's Daniel Fineart getting a 2-yard touchdown pass from Kobe Berghammer to narrow the lead to 21-14. Michael Stack in the third quarter with 4-14 left, we get a 40-yard field goal for lacrosse to make it 24 to 24 to 14 I should say, in favor of lacrosse. Then five seconds into the fourth quarter, Oshkosh's Kobe Berghamer gets that 10-yard touchdown run, you'll see here. 24-21. Narrow lead again. But lacrosse extends it with Kaiser Helterbrand's to 21-yard touchdown run with 9-31 left. 31-21 in favor of lacrosse. One more touchdown for our friends over at Oshkosh. Trey Tef- uh, Tetzlaff gets a 16-yard touchdown pass from Kobe Berghammer, 31-28. But you'll see this play here a third and three at the Oshkosh 32-yard line. It was Kaiser Haltebrand getting six yards, the first down in the put away basically in the game. That was the final score. 31-28 lacrosse. Brand, 348 total yards, one passing, two rushing touchdowns, and an interception. Kobe Berghammer for UWO, one rushing and three passing touchdowns in the game. Boy, if that result had flipped, you would have had chaos in the WIAC. Uh, however, uh, it's still showing itself to be a situation where any team can knock off any other team in that top five grouping that we've pointed out uh, in that conference, and Oshkosh is one of those top five.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and they they've been so close. I mean, I think Coach Jennings is is probably another season or so away to getting them back on top of the conference. They're just so competitive. Berghammer is an outstanding quarterback, but he can only do so much. Um, he did score a lot of points uh, for his team on on Saturday in in a losing effort. But you have to respect what the Titans are doing uh, in year two under Coach Jennings. I mean, whether the rest of the country likes it or not, it seems like at least one of the Pull Cs is going to be slated to whoever finishes in second place in the WIAC. It just that's what's going to happen. Um, sorry to say, whether you know you want want to hear that or not, uh, they're just too strong out there, and you know we'll, we'll see at least two. I don't know about three teams with only four Pool Cs, but man, um, all these games every weekend are great to watch.
0: was a great one to watch and we didn't necessarily expect to be so st john's against Gustavus adolphus first quarter 749 left st john's peyton gottlicher gets a 59-yard pick six 14-0 st john's had the lead we would have expected that to be the case but then watch what happens 409 left in the first quarter gustavus adolphus's walker britz a two-yard touchdown run 14-7 st john's led Gustavus would kick a field goal, 14-10, but St. John's here, second quarter, 652 left. Had Aaron Severson find Troy Fetima for a 30 yard touchdown pass and a 21-10 lead. Gustavus the Dolphins was not done though in the first half as Matthew Carrion gets a seven yard pass from George Sandvin, 21 17 with 229 left in the first half. Then to end the half,
2: My receivers going deep and four, they're blitzing everybody.
1: He picks up a block there, forces Sandvin. He's going to chuck it to the end zone, and it's going to be Kleinschmidt. Touchdown! 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 Kleinschmidt makes the catch in the end zone, 43 yards.
0: Gustavus Adolf says Caden Kleinschmidt gets a 43 yard touchdown pass from George Sandvin to take the lead at halftime, 24 21 to Gustavus Adolphus. What a turnaround in that half. Third quarter, three and a half minutes into it. George Sandvin, a one-yard touchdown run, extends their lead to 10 points, 31-21. 10:31 left. St. John's would respond. Nick Van Erp, a 45-yard touchdown pass from Severson, 31-28. But this third quarter is crazy. 5:38 left in that quarter. St. John's. Devin Volk, seven-yard touchdown run, 35-31 in favor of St. John's. Because Davis-Dolphins would respond. 2:43 left. Third quarter. Rohi Conde with a great touchdown grab from 49 yards out. George Sandvig gets it to him. 38-35 in favor of Gustavus Adolphus. But then watch this as later Rohi Conde would fumble the ball away to St. John's. Noah Arneson uh, gets that uh, fumble recovery for St. John's with 3:40 left. Here's a chance. So second and goal at the Gustavus Adolphus 12-yard line. Is it Johnny's magic? No. It's an interception by Aaron Severson. And Eric Lyons Jr. with that INT in the end zone really thwarts the chance for St. John's as third and three. You'll see Conde make up for things from earlier with the four-yard rush for the first down and the put-away in this game. It is an upset. Gustavus Adolphus wins 38-35 over St. John's. Severson 20 for 36, 270 yards, three passing touchdowns and interception. But Sandvon... 25 for 37, 353 yards, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions. But they, they survived the mistakes in the game, JB, and St. John's didn't have the Johnny's magic able to convert on all of them when they needed to, and there's your result.
2: Yeah, and no, if you told me that, that Saverson would have thrown for almost 300 yards and three touchdowns, I would have been like, oh, yeah, of course he would have, and, and they would have won the game by a couple of touchdowns. But, hey, you got to give credit to the Gusties. Uh, they made the big plays when they needed to, and they pulled off one of the biggest upsets of, of the weekend, if not the season.
0: Indeed, and uh, we'll have to watch how that plays out. I mean, you've got many horses in that race now because of what happens, and you've got to question yeah. whether or not St. John's can win out themselves right now because they're just so inconsistent this season. My goodness. Well, finally in-depth in Regions 4 through 6, we'll go to Region 4, DePaul at Wittenberg. Second quarter, 2.09 left, and Jordan Stipe, a 65-yard pick 6, uh, makes it a 24-14 game in favor of Wittenberg. The lead would grow to 27-14 with a field goal. We'll go to the fourth quarter, two minutes into it. pause, Robbie Ballantyne gets the 34-yard touchdown pass from Nathan McCahill. 27-21 is the lead at that point. It's shrinking, but Wittenberg bounces back. 9:36 left fourth quarter. Tyler Max, a 66-yard touchdown pass from Max Milton. 35-21, Wittenberg leading. But here comes DePaul. 6:34 left fourth quarter. Gabe Quigley gets a three-yard touchdown run. 35-28, they get one more chance. 141 left fourth quarter. Nathan McCahill, a two-yard touchdown run. 35 apiece. We are going to overtime in this game. Wittenberg got the ball first. They do not opt for the field goal on a fourth and 12 play from the 27. Max Milton is incomplete to Dean Tate. That would give DePaul the chance here to win the game outright with any points. First and goal from the two, and it's Caden Whitehead with a two-yard touchdown run. The walk-off in overtime that would make the final score 41 to 35 in favor of DePaul. Wittenberg led 27-14 to start the fourth quarter. Nathan McCahill 354 total yards for DePaul, One rushing, two passing touchdowns, and two interceptions. DePaw surviving uh, in that NCAC race. And, you know, it is a very tough conference this season to predict. But DePaw yeah. is somehow finding its way to possibly a championship. They still have some work to do, though.
2: Yeah, once again, with the puns here, they are scratching and clawing their way, these Tigers, all the way to the top of the NCAC. But they still have some big games, including that rivalry and the week 11 against Wabash and, and uh, the Mon and Bell game. So not over yet, but the Tigers are looking like they could repeat here.
0: Let's go express for the final games in regions four through six. First, Milliken at Elmhurst. We'll go to the fourth quarter in this game, Thirteen one left. Elmhurst Jacob Cockrell gets a 64-yard touchdown pass from Andre Acosta to make it 21-19 in favor of Milliken. Elmhurst, so 341 left, fourth quarter, has Aiden Pollock getting a four-yard touchdown run. They take the lead, 27-21, Elmhurst would. But Milliken would respond, 116 left, fourth quarter. Matthew Salazar, a six-yard touchdown run, makes it 27 apiece. Well, here's the extra point, obviously, or not. And the kick's
1: blocked. It's on the ground. Still loose. Now picked up by Talon West. West with a blocker in front of him. Sprinting up the near sideline. West into the end zone. The ultimate reversal for
0: Elmhurst. They block the PAT and return it for two points. Elmhurst, Talon West runs it back 98-ish yards, whatever they'll uh, mark it as, for the defensive two-point conversion, 29-27, Elmhurst takes the lead and wins the game, my goodness, what a way to end a game, it's Talon West from Elmhurst with that, they officially said 90-yard two-point PAT return with 116 left, that's the highlight, I mean, that's all you need to focus on really in that game, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Yeah. Redlands at Claremont-Mudscripts to end things here in Express. End of the first quarter was 10 apiece. Second quarter, 11.32 left. Claremont-Mudscripts' Justin Edwards of the one-yard touchdown run made it 17-10 to CMS. Then in second quarter, 2.22 left. CMS' Bryce Desjardins gets a 35-yard touchdown pass from Walter Kalenka, 24-10. Then, third quarter, the scoring would continue for CMS. 8.28 left, Justin Edwards, a 13-yard touchdown run, a 31-10 lead. CMS wins against Redlands, 31-17. Walter Camp gets 20 for 29-day, 254 yards, one passing touchdown, and an interception for CMS. Also from CMS, Justin Edwards, three rushing touchdowns on the day. Hey, I, I always want to say evening or night, but it actually was played earlier in the day. Uh, out there in Region 6 uh, Westland. But uh, JB, yeah. some interesting results across the board in Regions 4 through 6 we just went through, but you've got more where that came from.
2: Yeah, and of course, it would have been helpful when I made my pick on Friday if I had known that Redland's quarterback was down and they were playing with a backup or a third string. But you have to give Claremont credit. I mean, they are in lead now in the act which is interesting, though. They're going to play Chapman this weekend, who beat them a couple of weeks ago, I think in week six, but Chapman lost the Redlands. I don't know what's going on out there in Southern California, lots of crazy stuff, but elsewhere in in region four through six, we had the number one North Central winning 49 to three over Wash U, Mount Union 69 to nothing over Wilmington. Their defense is ranked number one in the nation, I think in almost every category possible. The Purple Raiders look really strong. Wartburg wins 62-7. to Whitewater takes care of Stout 37-20. to River Falls, I think, set some records for their program with 75 points and a win over Stevens Point. Linfield takes care of Puget Sound 55-6. to Wheaton wins 52-6 to over Carroll in the CCIW. Elsewhere, I'll kind of just sort of pick and choose here, Frank, because there's so many games to go through. Um, Wabash beating Kenyon, no surprise, but, you know, Hats off to Leon Thompson, one of three Division III um, players that are being nominated, I believe, for the Campbell Award, more on that probably on Friday. Baldwin-Wallace blanks Otterbein, uh, Hiram takes care of Overland 27-19. Trying and Albion, a long-time uh, rivalry game out there in Michigan, goes to the Thunder 35-20. Elsewhere we see um, Bluffton taking care of Manchester 50-12, Defiance wins 36-6. And then over here, we've got one of the biggest upsets of, of, this, of the weekend that we don't really talk about that often. But Ripon, which is a team I think is only three and four, takes down an undefeated Lake Forest. Um, hard, to, hard to understand what happened there other than they just played some great defense and, and the Foresters just had a rough day. Uh, they, they fall out of the ranks of unbeaten. I think we're down to 14 teams now. Um, big surprise there and then we also saw at the top of this list St. Norbert beats Concordia, Wisconsin and OT 13 to 7 Elsewhere we had um, Knox taking care of Grinnell 14 to 7 Carlton still winning here uh, 42 to 21. They have a big game this weekend out in Minnesota Concordia Chicago edges Eureka 28 to 27 uh, Bethel takes care of business against Hamline. We'll see the Royals in a big game in week 9 some more on that soon Augsburg takes care of Saint Olaf, 56 to 36. Central blanks Nebraska Wesleyan, 72 to nothing. Whitworth stays unbeaten, 42 to 20 over Pacific. We have um, Monmouth taking care of Beloit, 59 to three. Plattville beats Eau Claire, 47 to 14. Denison with a big win over Worcester, 35 to 31. Still hanging around in, in the uh, in the NCAA there. Marietta takes care of Heidelberg. You know, the, uh, Marietta's really had a great season, Frank, much better than I think a lot of progra- pro- prognosticators, easy for me to say, would have said in the OAC to start the year, so congratulations to them on their winning ways here. Dubuque uh, takes care of Univista, 41-0, Polona Pitzer, Pacific Lutheran, George Fox, and Chapman, over the other winners, in Region 6 out on the West Coast. And that is
0: crunch time for week eight of the 2023 Division Three. College football season. JB, that was a lot of action for sure. Uh, let's talk about your MVPs and uh, yeah. somebody we talked uh, about. Well, we let some other people maybe do more of the talking about them. Talson Smith, with that uh, incredible day <laughs> that yeah. Talson Tally stopped at fourteen catches, three hundred twenty-four yards, and a record.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm wearing the, the Mariner blue for a reason, right? I mean, we had Smith having a big day. He led all receivers in the, uh, in the nation with his performance on Saturday. And even though there were some uh, some great stats out there, I know the, the quarterback for Illinois College had like eight passing touchdowns or something like that, but had to go with our servicemen here. Congratulations, Tulsa, on a huge game, a record-setting day uh, for the Merchant Marine. And speaking of blue, Here's my guy, Talon West from Orlando, Florida. He's from just up the road in Lake Mary, went to Lake Mary High School. They even tweeted out um, something that I had posted about, you know, him being a a guy from Florida doing some good things in D3 football. Well, uh, Talon, awesome job. You made the play that saved the day for your team. And I know that, um, you know, they're they're proud of you out there. and, And we all here in Orlando, Florida are proud of you too, man. So congratulations there. And last but certainly not least is, Jaden Shackelford, A.K.A. Shack, as he's called by the uh, uh, you know by the f- folks at Ripon, had 13 unassisted solo tackles in in that shutout of Lake Forest. He was a big reason why the Red Hawks were able to take down the Foresters.
0: Well, sir, um, we are tied again. After uh, again, I bounced back it. finally with a 10 and one yeah, weekend,
2: you almost had a perfect. You almost had a perfect run again, I mean, if not for that silly Springfield pick that we that we somehow, we overanalyzed that one, clearly.
0: <laughs> Apparently, yeah, yeah. I thought we sounded really smart and we weren't again. But uh, it's a tie, 71-23, and 23, a great week, 10-1, 8-3 yeah. for both of us, but I obviously I uh, kind of nudge you over there. Let's talk about those undefeated teams you yep. were pointing out real quick here. Uh, Susquehanna, Grove City, Johns Hopkins, and Muhlenberg are the Region 2 teams, Region 3, Mm -hmm. Randolph-Macon and Bellhaven. That's all that's left in Region 3. Nothing in Region 1. I should go back to cover uh, that for a second. Uh, Region 4, Alma, DePauw, and Mount Union. In in Region 5, it's Wartburg, North Central, and Aurora. Uh, Region 6, it's Linfield and Whitworth, and that's it. So just two teams in the Northwest Conference. Obviously, one of them will fall when they play each other. But, uh, JB, yeah. uh, we could finish technically with 13 undefeated teams. I doubt it's going to happen. Actually, 12, but I should say, because we have a matchup 12. in Region 2 coming up that I'll be attending, and that is Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. at Muhlenberg, Saturday at 2 o'clock Eastern time. A big game for sure. Uh, it's it's a, a year where this list was populated a lot more just a couple weeks ago, so we have seen some undefeated fall yeah. more than we necessarily would have expected uh, at that point. Uh, lake forest you pointed out in crunch time and others Mm. along the way but you know you look at uh, this total you look at the state of affairs and you look at region two it seems to be a gauntlet of sorts across the board and could cause some real headaches with just four pool c bids and we keep talking about this the ordering of teams will matter more in region two than any other region i think in the country region six will be up there though a little bit i think
2: yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, and there will be at least two teams in Region 2, I believe, that will be kind of left on the sidelines. Maybe they'll get picked up in an ECAC bowl game. I don't know, Frank, if, if your um, union team still you know, puts in bids for that or not. If They, they maybe should just in case because they, those guys deserve to play in the postseason. Hopefully they'll get a chance. We'll see. But, you know, they still have to beat RPI. Um, the engineers are gunning for that uh, nine and one season, also. You also have teams out there like Carnegie Mellon. I mean, Region 2 is really stacked. Um, but one question I wanted to throw your way, Frank, was about Trinity and the fact that with St. John's losing, um, you know chances are that st john's may or may not be regionally ranked depending on how things go for the rest of the way now having a regionally ranked loss maybe wiped off your ledger for trinity could be a good thing but having a strong st john's out there might have helped them with a higher seeding situation do you foresee any kind of stuff going on there i don't know just sort of it was in the back of my mind when i saw the johnny's lose on saturday I'm like hmm, i wonder what that means for trinity
0: I think it's a good point. I'd rather have a the loss is a loss, okay so it, it's not like you can hide the loss. so yeah. I'd rather have the loss against somebody who's regionally ranked than not because what that does is confirms your strength of schedule or suggests that your strength of schedule might be stronger than what it's actually appearing as. to me, uh, your record against regionally ranked opponents sort of takes away the pretenders because you can, sort of accidentally end up into a strength of schedule that reads something like 550, 560 in a conference where you have a, a few chances at out-of-conference games. But then when you look deeper at it, no regionally ranked opponents in that. But then you have a team that maybe has a 530 that played two or three regionally ranked opponents, and you're like, well, wait a minute here. Uh, clearly, the 530 had a tougher schedule you know, on paper It's just the numbers are suggesting a little bit different on the other side. And that's the kind of stuff that, when we talk about regionally ranked opponents and strength of schedule, uh, sort of verifying or validating each other, that's where we go with it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't validate. Sometimes it basically throws it under the bus, the SOS. So, you know, that's the thing. I think Trinity would really like to have St. John's ranked and that would protect, I think, a home game for them, uh, maybe two games into the playoffs if they're lucky enough to get past the first-round opponent, whoever it may be. So that's the way I look at things here. And again, order matters, and that'll matter for Trinity in Region 3 as much as anybody, because if they're buried under a couple of teams, then how does that give them a look in the national profile of things as they're trying to seed teams, ultimately? Does Trinity host a first-round game? Yes, because... They have to yeah. do something down in the South to avoid flights, and they're going to be one of the two, top two teams probably in the South. From there, it's a whole mm-hmm. different story in the second week, depending on where, where they're potting yeah. basically against. So we'll, we'll find out a lot more soon. Uh, the first regional rankings come out, I believe, on Wednesday of next week. That's November, November 1st. 1st. Yep. So stay yep. tuned for that, and we'll have some action, obviously, in the show at that point in time uh we'll on friday go through a little bit more of this uh stuff we want to at least uh, kind of give you a, a little bit of a break here uh, for our uh you know meandering and talking and whatnot but jb i do want <laughs> yeah. you to kind of now that we've gone through the highlights give folks the ideas and thoughts you had from week eight about what it all means is st john's toast is you know the, i i guess the ecfc going to produce a You know, five-loss team uh, as their champion, possibly. Uh, We we could uh, head there, uh, ultimately. They can't figure out a team to kind of become a front-runner for the uh, rest of the season. Uh, There are a lot of open questions. What are the things you're watching right now as we begin to transition to Week 9?
2: Well, you know, I think kind of going back to the top, we, we talked about there's 78 teams out there that still have a fighting chance, and there's only 32 spots in the playoffs. So there's still a lot of really important games to be played. There are going to be some conference championships that could get locked up this weekend, which will start the process a lot earlier than normal, to be honest. And one thing that uh, maybe new fans of D3 should know that this list that's coming out on November 1st won't be in order order. It'll be in alpha order. So it's not going to be the, the first rankings is going to be the, the number one team on the list is is number one. they will be. You know, a team that starts with an A, probably, or B, depending on on which region they're in. But you can kind of read a little into some of the strength of schedule and other rankings. We'll get a second round on November 8th um, to to kind of crack through. And then as has been sort of our tradition. We've been doing this for 15 years. We always seem to somehow manage to get the uh, chair of the committee to talk to us. And uh, when the regular season ends, our goal will be to, to have another interview. With them and and sort of chat about how they went through the the process who they selected who they didn't i have some ideas of who i think are going to be picked as pool c teams but there's still enough up in the air that it's hard to tell we'll tell you who you should be rooting for this weekend uh, when we come back to you
0: live on friday uh which will be a special time of 8 a.m uh eastern time if i remember correctly so uh we'll be, yeah. start up in early, early, early. thank
2: you <laughs> yeah
0: Th- thanks JB. appreciate you killing my sleep on a friday morning uh, but at least I get to sleep in a little bit on Saturday, not really much. If I you know, choose to make the drive all yeah. the way on Saturday, this is a 2 p.m. kickoff down at Muhlenberg for undefeated mm-hmm. versus undefeated. Uh, there are a lot of good mm-hmm. games to choose from this weekend, but I've gone to this game the last two years. It's been you know worth the price of admission and more. And now with undefeated yeah. versus undefeated in the Centennial on the line, it's going to be very, very exciting Uh, Our former co-host, Nate Milne, uh, taking on Craig Mira and his team out there uh, in Muhlenberg. We'll find out who wins. We'll find out a lot more about that game coming up on Friday morning. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you then.